another Geeking On Sports cast. As always, my name is Kieran, and I'm joined again today by the one and only Alex. Let's go. <laughs> well, I mean, let's go indeed. It's It's been a crazy week. I mean, I'm sorry your Manchester United did not win, but that was a fucking nutty penalties. What was it, yeah. 11 to 10? Yeah, so, I, yeah. De Gea hadn't saved the penalty since 2017 or so, something. Yeah. Then, so. He's let in now. It would be, what, 30-something pens in yeah. a row? So we should have seen it coming. They should have swapped him out for Henderson or something. Yeah. Whatever. Last, last minute of the game. You had that extra sub. You could have used him. Exactly. <laughs> the big story of this pod, though, is Chelsea. Oh, my God. Chelsea won the champions <laughs> and i want to say i called it i called it didn't i call this you did you did yeah and uh i mean they had a great path to to get to make the finals but they deserved it man that was uh I mean, it was by no means easy i mean atletico madrid and at the time we were still thinking okay lampard's going into this how's this gonna work but then Tuchel took over and it looked a bit better um i mean porto obviously is, is more favorable yeah. But Madrid is not an easy team to get by. But nope. I felt like we we maybe not dominated, but we definitely you definitely deserve to go through. Yeah, I don't know if it's deserved, but we played the better game, I think. Yeah, no, I, I mean at least in the first in both legs, I thought you guys were the better team. So mm. uh, maybe not throughout the season. I mean, they didn't win even when they're domestically gray on Madrid, but it, it, you guys by far were the better team in, in the, the two legs and deserve to move on. Yeah. And, and that, and well, and that happened in the champions league finals. And I'm going to say it. I mean, I made the joke, Pep Guardiola got his treble. He got his three losses to Tuchel. There you go. The FA cup semifinals loss, the Prem loss, and now the champions league finals. That is, I mean, I, I can't remember the last time I've seen a manager even go two games over Pep Guardiola's Man City. Like that, that's crazy that Tuchel managed to do it three times. So granted, it wasn't always the you know starting players of Man City. Uh, I'd say more for the FA game, but for the you know Champions League finals as well as the uh, Prem match, that was pretty much Manchester City's starting squad. So that's I mean it's outstanding. Yeah, for sure, and and. The, the interesting thing is that you probably could arguably say City had the best season in Europe throughout the whole year. And, but the, but with Chelsea, they came at, they came on strong to finish the year. And obviously that's indicative of the three wins they had over Pep in what was it the last month and a half of the season? Yeah. I think it was like four weeks. Yeah. Right. So they definitely had their number and they kind of make sense considering Chelsea's been such a good pragmatic and defensive team this year a bit their problems have been more scoring but they're a team that was great defensively and obviously against a team like City you need to be super defensive minded because they're you're not going to have the possession and you need to really for the most part there's not really a team that can have the ball more than City um, if they're playing best their best players so mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of the perfect kind of, I don't know, the kryptonite for, for Pep, I guess, just because Chelsea was such a great defensive team, especially under Tuchel to, to end the year. And we had the we had some of the players to be able to counterattack and get that little bit of uh, 
offense or, or well, maybe not offense, but the little bit of threat. We'll put it that way. There's there's a threat that yeah. City had to be worried about. And okay, get, getting into the game. I mean, speaking of threat, Pep started Gundogan, De Bruyne, and Bernardo Silva. I mean, he had started at least Roger Fernandinho at least. Or he started Rodri Fernandinho 59 out of 60 times this season. Yeah. Wow. Why? Like, like, why would he change now? I mean, I, Gundogan's had a very good season, but he's not a six. The, like, he's been dominant as an eight this season. He's not been dominant as a six. And I mean, the only way that you're going to do well with Gundogan as a six if you're is if you're having the ball maybe 70% of the time and the opponent's counterattack isn't that, you know, threat. There's not much threat to it. But, I mean, that that had to have been a overthinking and just he he messed that up. It's so it's so it's so interesting because he kind of didn't screw it up until the final, right? And all the pundits and people had said we're kind of waiting for him to put a, a kind of I don't know what the right word is, but a quite odd um lineup a lineup yeah, yeah yeah something that didn't make and, sense like against Lille or Lyon sorry yeah and against Dortmund it was fine against PSG the lineups made a lot of sense and then in the final you you could hear the pundits before 15 minutes before saying or I guess the the lineups were released an hour before but basically saying wow, I would have picked City going in, but this lineup makes me favor Chelsea. And that was before the game even started, before anyone had kicked the ball. So, yeah, I don't know what happens. Is that something he can fix? Or will he realize and have the wherewithal to to realize that he kind of goes for the unconventional a lot of the times in the biggest matches, which doesn't make a lot of sense. And there's something to, to be said for being pragmatic, but... This just is off kilter for a team that didn't even need to be necessarily changed too much against this Chelsea team. I guess they had lost their previous games, but against them, the, the FA Cup and Premier League, but still to go, you said 59 out of 60, right? Yeah, it's either that or 59 out of 61 or something. But... So that's just every time they have a, a, a normal out and out CDM or central d- defensive midfielder and, and they didn't and you really noticed it because Gundogan, who was, I believe he was somewhat nursing an injury. I'm not, that's what I heard, but it, it just doesn't make sense. That's not who he is. And he's been so great for city as, as obviously, you know, Kieran as you're such a Gundogan fan, but th- that was as a, as an eight, not as a six. So it's just a very yeah. perplexing decision. And you probably could say that he botched them the game more than anyone else. I, I completely agree. And I mean, I I want to take his perspective. You're looking at this Chelsea team that, I mean, generally speaking, Tuchel has often changed his uh, squads. I mean, for Mines, he was the, I mean, not prodigy, prodigy, but he was the guy to change his lineups, to make every little, you know, to, to make every little game or you know what's what's the just pragmatic or yeah i mean and just they they didn't have a lot of talent so they're trying to prevent their opponents from getting like taking advantage of them so whatever little advantages they could take they would at mines and he did the same at dortmund would you say a lot of creativity with his lineups and mixing and matching and not oh for sure the same set of system 
For sure, he changes system every week depending on who we would play against. But with this Chelsea team, he's kept it the same. He, you know, whatever's working, he just kept on playing it. I mean, to be, I mean, th- there is a reason for that. I mean, if, if it, why would you mess with something that's getting you good results? I mean, given, well, I mean, the last couple of games in the Prem, they didn't do exactly well. They didn't do really well, but there's nothing wrong, generally speaking, with how they were playing. It was just a few misplays, you know, Jorginho passing into an open net kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So just mental errors as opposed to the system itself wasn't working. But, and, and that's where I think, you know, Pep's pragmatism came in, in the sense that, okay, he thinks that Chelsea's going to stay back quite a bit. You need someone that's going to break down uh, the team. You need someone that's going to break down their defense. Yeah, Gundogan's much better at breaking down their defense, Chelsea's defense, than say Rodri or Fernandinho would be. So I can understand that, but at the same time, when you're playing against the likes of Werner and Havertz and Pulisic and Mount and and players that can get in between, I mean Reese James and Ben Chilwell, they have pace. Their counterattack is scary. Yeah. No, continue. I mean, just just I mean that he should have realized that that risk would not outweigh the potential reward that he might get from putting Gundogan as a six and having almost no defensive coverage for your center backs. Cause th- th- I mean the goal, you saw the goal Timo Werner brought uh, Ruben Diaz away from the play and left a gaping hole in the middle for having, and you know, stone couldn't, he couldn't. Well, he, I, I think he was also slightly late on reading the play because when when one center back pairing is running to a side, you should also be following. No, um, but he, he. I think he was a bit slow there. But yeah, I mean that was phenomenal play and it's just a lack of defensive coverage. Yeah, for sure. And as you mentioned, it just it just. I I believe that this game was. It might be a bit naive and Chelsea fans might not like it, but I really truly believe that Pep kind of handed this trophy or the, the final to Chelsea. And I mean, if you want to get into the, what this, how this, I guess, Chelsea victory and, and champions league victory that really came out of nowhere. Do you want to kind of speak to that? Because for me, if someone had told you this, before the season started that Chelsea wouldn't win the the Champions League, you'd probably think they were nuts, right? And I... I 100%. And they definitely played well and they deserve to win. But at the same time, I I believe it's not necessarily reflective of the best team in Europe, but it's a, it's a cup competition and it's not a, it's not, it's not a normal league competition yeah. it's not for the whole year. And Chelsea played really pragmatic and Another thing I'd say is it really shows if you can play good defensively, especially these days, you can win cup competitions because obviously away goals, but just against the biggest sides, if you can limit their chances and play good defensively, you're probably going to get Nick a goal here and there. And that's really what Chelsea did. And obviously they have enough talent to, to score and, but they weren't the greatest high fine offensive team, like a city, but they were more pragmatic and defensive, mm-hmm. so good on them. Yeah, and I mean, you, you're right. This this Chelsea team was not the best squad on paper um, in, in Europe. And I mean, a lot of the players have been underperforming, especially under Lampard, some of the players, namely the German players. 
were underperforming under Lampard and Ziyech to a point. Um, but Tuchel changed it. I mean, also to be fair to Lampard, like Mount and James and other players were playing very well under him. So some players were doing well. It's just a lot of other players were not. But under Tuchel, there, there seemed to be more of a balanced approach. And, you know, funny you mentioned, um, you know, what, what does it mean and what does it think, what, what do you make of it? I, I look back on the 2012 title that Chelsea won. And that kind of seemed like the end of an era for most of the Chelsea players. I mean, John Terry was in his later stages. Uh, Frank Lampard would retire, what, like three years, two years later? Two or three years later, they mm-hmm. had a bunch of players that would end up leaving. But it was also a new beginning in the sense that they got Hazard. Yeah. But this 2021 title team, I mean, you look at it. I mean, Hazard was sold. We got a bunch of money. We bought Havertz. We bought Werner. We bought Ziyech. We bought Chilwell. We bought, uh, well, we got, we signed uh, Tiago Silva on a free transfer. You look at so many more of the – you look at the other players on the squad and you think, oh, my God, this is the foundation blocks of the next, I mean, five, seven years perhaps at least. Yeah. Can, can, I don't know. Maybe the, 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 the listeners that are really into footy won't understand this reference, but for me it's kind of like the Golden State Warriors. And, again, I preface this by saying if you don't understand this, it doesn't uh, – it's okay. But – they won the NBA title in 2015 and they were kind of, they kind of, a lot of teams kind of got injured. They were obviously a great team and played great throughout the year, but they kind of got a bit lucky and played well and won. And they were kind of a year before schedule before they won. And then the next year they kind of came on and were this dominant team. They didn't win in the end, but they had this crazy season, won the most games in a season ever. And I kind of feel this a little bit if I'm, if I'm a, a Chelsea fan, because I feel we kind of won this title before we were supposed to, but I feel, but probably you feel that next year or the year after you could really be a dominant team in Europe, not just in the sense of winning the, the champions league, but winning the premier league and, and being an even stronger side than you are right now with all the young players and guys developing under Tuchel. Exactly. It, it, it's, you learn what it is to win and learning what it is and how much it takes and how much effort and time and passion and drive and sweat that it takes to win a cup, whatever it may be. You learn, if you learn that at a young age, I feel that can only benefit you in the future. Unless if you think everything's going to be easy, which it's not, you're just going to get slapped, but I don't get the sense that that will happen to this Chelsea team. I think they'll use this to think, Wow you know, we, we accomplished this much and we're not the best. Let's see what we can do. And, and let's just keep on pushing ourselves and see what we can accomplish in the coming years. There's still guys on this team that are pretty young that haven't been, I, I, I guess the right word is fulcrums or kind of mainstays of the squad. If you look at Billy Gilmore, who seems very promising yeah. young player, Callum Hudson, Adoy's had injuries and been in and out, but he was very promising when he was, 18 19 he's he's i think 20 or 21 now but they have a couple players obviously but their core pulisic um okay i messed up his name uh verner havertz mount 
I don't know how old Chilwell, but they're all Reese James. 23, I think. Yeah, they're all basically under 25. And that's such a great thing because you win this cup competition and now you can go into any, well, any cup, but also the Premier League saying, hey, we're the, we're the Champions League winners. And if I were them, I'd kind of look to what happened with, with uh, Liverpool a couple of years ago where, I mean, they weren't close in the Premier League like Liverpool was in 2019, but they won the Champions League and then they kind of focused, okay, we won the Champions League. This is great. Now let's win our Premier League. Um, obviously, as a United supporter, I, I hope this does not happen and that we make that big step. But if I'm a Chelsea fan, I feel really happy and, and, and excited. But also, obviously, they could win the Champions League next year. I find that a bit hard to believe, but you never know. And uh, definitely be a, a bigger threat in the Premier League. Yeah. 100%. And it's that passion, that drive, and that, you know, that experience is going to help them so, so, so much in the future. Um, it's just, I mean, of course, you can never tell what's going to happen, but because so much of the core is that young, I mean, you have to be excited. I mean, I mean, of course, you supporting Manchester United, it's a little different for you, but for for the you know non not non biased but the the fan that doesn't you know care about a specific team you have to be excited about this it's yeah. just there's so much potential what i'd also add and i mean you're a chelsea fan for for many years and i haven't followed the team as closely but they've obviously had this thing where they've sold their young players too early, for example, Salah or De Bruyne. I can name a couple others, but Lukaku. This Lukaku, I forgot about him too. But in this case, with Lampard, and you'd probably argue that the transfer ban was a big help in this case, but they were forced to keep their their young players, right, and have them play. And you you could easily say that they've been reaping the rewards in this Champions League by look at Mount, look at. I mean, Abraham didn't really show that much, but Reese James is another James, young player. Yeah. Um, obviously, Callum Hudson-Odoi was part of this team. So, and there's going to be more guys like that too. So I, I just, they kind of have a bit of a youth movement from within, which is is an exciting thing for, for them as well, which is something new for Chelsea, who has always been more win now under the Abramovich era. Yeah, two things coming from that. One, I want to know how it's going to affect. I mean, Tuchel did sign his his extension. He's he's staying on supposedly until twenty twenty four, unless he gets fired beforehand. I mean, obviously that the, knowing Chelsea coaches and the history of Chelsea coaches, there's there's a pretty decent chance that he's going to get fired probably by the end of next season. Yeah, but it might not happen. I mean, it's just it's just a reality that most Chelsea coaches face, and I don't. I mean. It's worked in a lot of cases, but at the same time, it, it's also, I mean, it's, it's dickish. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, a few, a few bad games and there you go. Like it felt yeah. bad for Lampard, but honestly with the Lampard situation, I didn't see much improvement. I didn't see yeah. much of a, you know, I didn't see where this team was going to head. But the second thing I wanted to mention, I wonder how much Lampard or how many youth players Lampard would have actually used if he wasn't uh, given the transfer ban. Yeah, I, I don't know. You could argue if 
Tuchel, obviously he was the PSG manager at the time, but would he have played all those young players? Who knows, right? Uh, but I would say it was somewhat of a feat for Lampard to get them just into the Champions League with that pretty um, young and inexperienced squad. So, And they wouldn't even have won the Champions League this year if it wasn't for that, right? So mm-hmm. I, I do think you have to give Lampard a bit of credit for this win now. Obviously, they weren't really on the path at the time of his firing to, to, to go to the Champions League. But he, the, the team had done great during the group stage, uh, group stage under his tutelage. So I don't know. I, I think you have to give it, obviously, more to Tuchel. It would be a bit insane of me to say, well, Lampard really won this because they were playing horrible. But I, I do believe he deserves a bit of credit for the young players and also just getting them into the Champions League last year when probably Leicester deserved to make it over them. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, that, that ending... Or, or United, for that matter, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that ending to the season was not pretty, to say the least. Alrighty, uh, who are your outstanding players during this match? I mean, I didn't watch that much, but obviously Conte looked phenomenal, and I, I think you have to give credit to, to Havertz just for the poise and the run he made and to score in the Champions League final as a, what is he, 21-22, so... I didn't watch enough, so I'm not going to speculate too much, but Conte looked phenomenal and you probably arguably the best player at that position and at the number six role. And, uh, and obviously Havertz for the goal and, and run a pretty good, cool finishing. And that's not easy to, to go by a goalie when he's rushing at you and take a good touch. Obviously he should do it as a guy who's worth a hundred million dollars, but at the same but the time, thing is, he, he had missed a, a similar chance a few games before. Exactly. So it was a little bit of redemption, and not to mention, this is also his first Champions League goal. Exactly. What a exactly. way to get that in your in the finals. Exactly. So good on him, but uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. I uh, for me, I, I couldn't really narrow it down to th- one player. I think. Mount was really solid the game. I don't think it was his best game, but I think he did what he needed to do. I think Rudiger was an absolute beast in the back end. Um, that that uh, early tackle against uh, Phil Foden, that ball was going into the bottom corner of the net, but that Rudiger tackle prevented it. Um, and if, if Phil Foden had scored that, that would have been a one nothing Man City game, yep. and that would have been a very different, different game. game. Very, very different game. Yeah, Exactly. Uh, Conte, because, oh, my God. He, you know, one second he's defending, he's breaking up the play. That, that De Bruyne tackle, holy, just <laughs> swooping in as if it was nothing. It was like watching Philip Lom tackling, like actual <laughs> Philip Lom vibes right there. Um <laughs> For for those who don't know, Philip Lom's another like short king, and he like Conte, very good at tackling and very good at reading defensive plays. Um, and, and then of course, up. yeah, that too. They both won. Uh, but Mar, uh, sorry, um, Havertz was really good. Yeah, I think generally speaking, he was very dominant. Somewhat similar to how he played against. Uh, when he played against Everton, 
uh, earlier on the season. He just showed his absolute quality. He was always there for building up the play. He made the right passes. He made the right movements, which is not easy to do. Um, and I think in general, he just played a phenomenal game. Uh, for City, no one really stood out. I mean, Mars had some really nice runs, but it didn't really amount to anything. Um, even though, I mean, City controlled a lot of the possession in the second half, uh, but they just, they couldn't get anything done. I mean, I feel bad for Aguero. I mean, yeah. he's been there for so long and, you know, he promised the club that he would win the Champions League before he left, but obviously that didn't happen. And I'm not, I'm not, Chelsea, I, mean, <laughs> I don't care that City lost, but I do feel bad that Aguero didn't get that opportunity to win that. Although to be fair, he won the Premier League. That's a nice, you know, going away present to be fair. Yeah. 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 No, In all sure. honesty. Yeah. No. I, I can never like him as a United fan, but uh, yeah, good, good, good for him uh, winning the Premier League, even though I, th- I saw he was in tears after this game. So uh, that that's unfortunate. Yeah, he was being he was very emotional, as as you probably would be yep. if you had just lost or, or won that you know major trophy. I know I would have been I don't know tears i would have been overjoyed i would have mm-hmm. i don't know i mean neither of us are professional athletes so we can't really say to that but it it would be a special moment to say the least exactly now okay we spoke about pep before but what needs to happen for man city to take that next step i mean i know pep said that they're going to do a complete rehaul or they want to do a rehaul i mean no guero means that they'll be getting a new striker whether that's Kane or Lukaku or, you know, Holland, we, we don't know yet. But, I mean, they have such a talented team. I'm not really sure they need much tinkering. It's just, you know, one or two moves perhaps. I think Kane is just uh, – yeah, I hope to God it doesn't happen, but he's kind of the – he's kind of what they're missing. One, he's a much better finisher than any of their strikers – or, or cams or wingers, whatever position you want to describe. And Aguero? How would he compare to Aguero? Well, Aguero isn't in his prime anymore and has been injured. Yeah. So I'm talking about right now. If you're talking about... Okay, Aguero, yeah. No no more Aguero in the squad. Yeah, yeah, right? Uh, and just also, he's an aerial threat that they don't really have. And considering they have a lot of possession, and the problem is, is that against teams that like similar to... Chelsea that can sit back and really defend well enough to, to limit their chances. They're just giving them a bunch giving will allow city to have all these crosses and there's no real aerial threat on, on their team with Kane. He's a proven goal scorer and can come in for headers and stuff. And obviously he's only one player. It has to be kind of, but at the same time, he gives them something that they haven't really had. Even Aguero wasn't the greatest um, header so and it just was pretty uh, short yeah and also Kane's just probably one of the what top three or four best strikers in the world probably I'd say so it just and there's no one on City's team that is that at that level right now maybe Aguero a couple years ago would be in that conversation but not now so I think it's a game changer other than that I don't really know what you strengthen I guess if you got Holland, it'd be a similar thing, probably, and it probably even an even better player. But that's if well, especially for the future. 
Because exactly. Kane, Kane's what, 28, 29 now? Yeah, I, I believe he'll be 29 next year for the season. So you're really getting him as a short-term win in the next three, four years. Wait, uh, he's 27. I'm wrong. Okay, so he's turning 28 this year. But anyways, you, you get the point. So yeah, um, for three, four, maybe five years of, of his the rest of his prime. But it's not it's not a long, long-term term move but it could easily win you the champions league and treble next year so uh it makes a lot of sense for city if, if they were to get him yeah i completely agree i mean not much you can add to that but i would say i don't know what pep needs to do but he needs to figure out to not change things when things are working out for him and then to also like stop overthinking certain situations. You have such a talented team. He's already, you know, Yao Cancelo or Chao Cancelo, however you pronounce his name, or, or Oliver uh, Alexander, Alexander. I I don't know Zinchenko. Zinchenko um, they yeah. play like left center mids. They don't play like left backs. They play like left center mids. Yeah, and it's he's tinkered and it's working. And just tinker a little, tinker a little bit like that, you know. Create fun little spaces where players can move in to and make your general team better and more balanced. Yeah. But don't 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 completely negate an entire role, or you know, well, don't don't diminish the value of what some player might you know bring to the squad or what are a specific role such as like a CDM versus Chelsea might be. Yeah. That's probably the hardest thing with coaching is, is, is managing pragmatism with what the players themselves and their roles and their abilities and putting them in the best position to succeed. And for Pep, it's pro I, in my opinion, he, he sometimes goes for, he doesn't he he goes for for spectacular yeah and just goes for oh well they're really good with the ball and kind of forgets what they're not good at and and only realizes well okay well you're playing good to one for example at the six well his strength isn't playing the six it's playing the eight right or wherever but as a more attacking player so that's the kind of hard thing is realizing the strengths and weaknesses and being pragmatic and also having, uh, I don't know, what's the right word? Having the uh, style of play that everyone is used to for your team, but also putting them in the best position to, to win and to be successful. And for Pep, it seems as though he confuses the two, especially when it's a big match, he, he overthinks it. Mm-hmm. I agree. All right, last last little tidbit for for the soccer before we get on to the NHL playoffs. Who's going to win the Ballon d'Or? Do you think it's Conte? Do you think he's pushed for a place or a consideration? Personally, I believe he's in the consideration for it. Uh, I, I'm the only person I can think of that should win it or should really be in contention is Lewandowski. Just forty. I, I, it was forty in the end, and when I think he, it was forty-one. Forty-one. He beat the record. Yeah, okay. he beat so, the record. Uh, I knew he beat the record, but what all I'm going to say is, 
I believe Conte's pro I you'd probably say is the best player in the world for his position. So he's he makes the starting eleven of the season and he's been absolutely outstanding and probably deserves to to be in consideration, obviously, for this award, it seems as though they take into World Cup or Euros or uh, also international performances. So if he wins the Euros this summer, maybe he has the edge on Lewandowski, but or Lewandowski, sorry. But for me, at least, it's harder to score goals than to stop them. And that's why I'd give it to Lewandowski because he it wasn't just a great, a, a good great years it was a phenomenal goal scoring year and mm-hmm. i just give that it's it's I, I especially in a sport like soccer it's just a harder thing to do but should he be a finalist i believe so that's probably a, a fair debate or fair um answer yeah and just this season he had 41 goals in the bundesliga five goals in six games in the champions league uh what other the dfp pokal he didn't play well they got eliminated they early. Too, right yeah but 45 goals in i believe 35 games i mean that's, that's incredible yeah that's like pushing messi and and ronaldo numbers-esque i not not quite there but i mean absolutely incredible um, exactly. I do think, as you mentioned, I, I do think Conte will be in consideration for it. Um, anyway, I mean, I don't know who else you could put into that that you know ballpark or similar ballpark. I mean, maybe Kevin De Bruyne, but I think Robert Lewandowski and and Conte are a bit above him in that sense. But I mean, Messi and Ronaldo are always going to be considered. I think yeah. Messi more than. Ronaldo this season, given that I mean Ronaldo and Juventus barely uh, made it to Champions League football, and then also they got killed by Porto. So not well, not killed, but I mean they lost against Porto. Yeah, so, probably Messi over Ronaldo. With, he had thirty-eight goals this year, and yeah, everything. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Okay, and uh, we'll we'll be transitioning into our our hockey playoff uh, discussion about the Leafs and Habs and uh, that series, which was a great end. And then we'll also talk about uh, the Leafs versus Jets and the rest of the NHL playoffs after this break. And we are back from our break. You know, we're doing a little ads. We're getting paid, you know, 10 peanuts, to, you know, for per ad kind of thing. Uh, welcoming Olivier to the podcast. We are doing a Leafs Habs special with a little bit of a Jets Habs preview. And that'll be interesting because Alex, you're Jets Nation. And Olivier, you're obviously Habs Nation. And personally, I couldn't care less who's going to win that series. (laughs) I don't want to see who's going to win that series. I just can't wait for the Colorado Avalanche or the Vegas Golden Knights or whoever may be the Tampa Bay Lightning to just absolutely slaughter those two teams. I'm I'm waiting for that. All righty. Back to the Labs or getting Labs, getting to Leafs Habs. I mean, what do you say? This is a curse. Is this you know a lack of drive? This is people giving up before they they even started. 
because you know, uh, I mean, since 2004, the only other team in the NHL that hasn't gone and won a playoff series isn't that the Atlanta Thrashers? Isn't that the running joke? Oh yeah, yeah. There you go. Even the Buffalo Sabers managed to win a series back in the day. Good lord. Already, what went wrong for the Leafs here? I mean, this this is this a lack of respect, urgency, drive to win? I mean, for God's sakes, they were up three one in the series. How do you let that slip? I mean, that's like Vancouver vibes right there. <laughs> uh, they, yeah, no, you go a little bit. Okay, okay, I'll take. Like they they were playing like they were trying to not lose. They weren't playing games to win them. They were playing games with that giant looming image of failure in the rear view and they let it catch up to them. I think a huge part of that was happening between every single player's ears. A Is huge part like of that Toronto game was market. Mental. Is that like Toronto yeah, market and media? It can't help. It, it definitely can't help being in that kind of situation, but like, it's like they can't game one, you know, Tavares incident, very unfortunate, clearly rattled the team. Couldn't do it. Rattle off three wins in a row. They were in the yeah. driver's seat for all of those games. They were like, yeah, win it for Johnny, win it for Tavares. They were going off. And then just, uh-oh, hiccup, game five, something happens. No, nah, it's fine. Three, two, we're fine. And then, you know, th- they saw that. The second the Habs started coming back up with that Paul Byron goal, they saw it coming. They're like, oh, this this might happen again. You know, you start having the flashbacks of the previous losses in, in – round one series and i think it's a, a part of everything that you said kieran like respect for themselves and just the fact that they're trying to win and a lot of urgency and drive like they have players who can put the grit you know to the you know they can bring grit to the table when they have to and they can bring urgency and you know you have guys like wayne simmons and nick felino and joe thornton who are not above just grinding it out when they have to but it just wasn't working for them and they had this year you look at their team on paper and you're like, this is probably the way to do it. They have everything they want on paper, good goaltending, relatively good and deep defense, you know, top heavy, but it's not like, none, you know, they have a lot of high effort guys like Hyman and stuff and just let it all go. Yeah. I mean, I just to add on that, the, probably if you're a Leafs fan, the thing you were most worried about going into the series was how would Jack Campbell perform? And he was, other than the Gallagher goal in, in game seven, really pretty phenomenal. Played better than Price, at least probably you'd say in the first four games. After that, maybe not so much, but... He had a 934 save percentage and a 181 goals against. And lost the series. He, he played outstanding hockey. Yeah. Yeah. So, the, I mean, I, I think Kieran has one of the questions of this that I'm going to be answering right now. For me, the what went wrong is Marner and Matthews were just did not show up. Obviously, they Ooh. had a couple points, but well, can I can I just share with you guys just what happened with those? Like, I just want to show you the points for, yeah, for those, Philippe for Dano those is guys. What happened? Philippe Dano. Oh, Philippe Dano is what happened. All right, no, but Alex, before before you get into it, because I'll let you have this. This is your you know floor. You you go at it. Mitch Marner, two goals in his last 19 playoff games. Wow. 12 points. 12 points. Okay, not bad. Two goals. Okay. Austin Matthews, one goal and four assists this past series. I mean, he just won the Rocket Richard. How do you only get one goal in seven games? What? 
I mean, Willie Nylander played outstanding hockey. He had eight, eight points in seven games. Um, he was great this series, but in past series, he was a, I believe, a point six uh, points per game, where usually his average is point seven three. So, you know, in the past, he hasn't been that great, but he was really good this season. But they didn't, they didn't all click. And then, I mean, Zach Hyman, he got one goal. That was his only point. He got <laughs> one goal this series. Nick Foligno, the guy you traded for, one assist in four games. I mean, Alex, I'll let you have it. Take it on from there. Well, I won't get into this too much, but that trade looks horrible now. A first and was it two fourth for Felino? Anyways, that was a bad trade for them in retrospect. But no, I just the big boys didn't show up, and you could really see it with Marner a bit less so with Matthews. But every time Price made a save, Marner would look up and be like, "You got to be kidding me!" or or any maybe a bit more um, expletives, but. And they just didn't show up and they weren't shooting. And you could tell price was really in their head, especially through game five and seven uh, from game five through game seven and give, and give the Habs credit. They played their best games of the series as the series uh, ended. And I think price said this was game seven was their best game of the series. Probably wouldn't disagree with that. They just wore themselves and got into the series as a prolonged and really the, the Leafs choked. And what I would say though, is losing Tavares is a big blow, especially in the first game. That's something that he's your second line center. He scored 48 goals a couple of years ago and to mi- miss him for the whole series is a big blow. But then again, look at Tampa Bay last year, they didn't have Steven Samkos. They had him for what one period and he scored, but and they won the cup without their captain. So it, it can be done. And they, this team was built to win, even if a big guy went down and then Muzzin did later. So yeah, just an utter choke job. That is the reason why, at least, I don't know, Olivier might, might've been more biased because of a, being a Habs fan, but that's why I picked the Habs in seven was I just thought these guys, Weber, Petrie, Price, Gallagher, they've been through the rounds in the playoffs and won rounds in the playoffs. And obviously Thornton and Simmons and Spezza have, but they're not your go-to guys, right? So, yeah, just what an utter choke job. And we'll get into it a bit later, but I have no clue what this team does. It it was kind of built perfectly, not perfectly, but to be successful in the playoffs, unlike other years, big, gritty, strong veterans, fast, a lot of depth good goaltending with Campbell in the end. And they just, they just, I, I don't even know what to say, but uh, what a hilarious way for the Leafs to lose. And I am, I was so ecstatic. It, it made my day. Yeah. Like just to like reciprocate on your point, like I picked them as a super biased Habs fan, obviously, but also like even just looking at roster wise, stuff like that on the Habs, like you have guys who have been around the ringer and know what it's like to be in playoff games from just the Habs roster in general, previous to all, any of their moves, you know, Brandon Gallagher has been around for some games, stuff like that. Philip then played Shea Weber, you know, Carey Price himself. And then they bring in guys, Eric Stahl, Corey Perry. You're just adding on to that. And these guys have been through the ringer. Joel Edmondson, you know, won just recently. He's been there. He knows what playoff hockey is like. And some of these guys really stepped up their game 
and demonstrated that. You know, like Edmondson's been having great games. Sherratt as well. They've really stepped up their game despite having relatively lackluster regular seasons because they know now is the time to do so. I mean, yes, but you have to think the lack of, well, pure, well, I mean, obviously Montreal Canadiens do have skill and talent, but on paper, aren't aren't they just outmatched against the Leafs? So, yeah. On, yeah. on paper, for sure. But, I mean, yes. if you look at the Leafs' top – or the Habs' top scorers, they have five guys that have more than four points for the whole series. Holy. Right? Which, like, it's, it's not just a few people. And when you're a team like the Leafs that might require a few key people to put up a lot of points and they don't, that's kind of what happens, right? Yeah, I mean okay. – Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's not as if the Leafs – um, bottom six didn't perform. Spets had what four goals, three goals, and it it just they they their depth players showed up, um, but their top guys just didn't. And in the end, you ride and die with your best players, especially when you're 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 a better team. If your best players don't show up, think about it this way: if the Penguins or whatever, or the Capitals in those years, if Crosby didn't show up in a game, they're probably not winning the game, right? And and that's obviously even more so if Tavares is injured. Nylander was amazing, and we'll talk about him later, but he was the only forward, I think, that really showed up in this series that was... Yelchenyuk was pretty decent for the most part, outside of his one major mistake. He also won... Uh, the Habs game five. So good for yeah. him. Thanks, Chucky. Just like we drew yeah. it up nine years ago. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I would also say Zach Hyman as well. I know he didn't like stuff the score sheet, but he was really giving in his all six shots in game seven. Like, you know, he wanted it. Yeah. Just wasn't, wasn't meant to be. No. But okay. Alex, you're mentioning, you know, Marner looking to the sky and wondering what the hell is going on here. I mean, they, is this a question of they're just I mean obviously price played into their hands like they he got into their heads but are the Leafs just feeling sorry for themselves like oh no this shouldn't be happening but what can you do like is, is that their mentality because if so do you want that on your team do you want people that can't do shit you know be playoff you know, driven and be, you know, willing to take that, you know, extra step and just push, push, push. Do you want someone that's just going to give up like that? I don't know if it's necessary giving up, but I'd say it's more wilting under the pressure and just getting, having the pressure get to them. And I mean, people weren't really talking about Matthews as much, but you could really tell with Marner, he was holding a stick, gripping it too hard and really tough on himself. And, the stats you indicated at the start of this podcast are indicative of both him and and Matthews of underperforming compared to the season in the playoffs. And that's something you have to be worried about. Now, I, we can talk about later what does this team do going forward, especially in the offseason, what kind of plans they do. But it's definitely something worrisome uh, because these guys finished what Matthews won the Rocket – Marner and Matthews were fourth and fifth in 
scoring this year yeah. and just laid a big egg in the playoffs. And it's not the first time. It's what, the, the fourth time, right? Well, so, I don't think – I think the last time Matthews was solid in the playoffs was two seasons ago. And I think it was Marner three seasons ago where he got nine points in six or seven games. Or it might have been their rookie season, actually. I no, think it was it not was, the rookie yeah. season. It was their it was second the season. Series they played well. Oh, okay, yeah, but I could be mistaken. It might have been the first Boston one, but I think it was the first Boston. The Mariner popped off. Yeah, but it, it, it just—I don't know what to do. And and those guys are making a lot of money. And to be fair, they've gotten lucky with the pandemic salary cap not rising. But then again, I don't know what else you'd really want on this team that was. Bible, they've kind of they kind of addressed any problem you'd think they'd have, right? Obviously, if yeah. you could put Connor McDavid on that team, it'd be great. But something feasible, I, I thought the roster construction was pretty phenomenal. But yeah, uh, we'll we'll see, and and maybe maybe it's more kind of an Ovechkin thing with where it takes forever for them to get over the hump, and once they get over it, they they do great, and maybe win the cup, but. At the same time, these guys aren't signed long, long term. It, what Matthews has three years left on his deal, uh, or it might be four. Same with Marner; he has four or five. It's it's a big window, but it's not seven, eight, right? It's not, for example, yeah, you're, you're you're losing daylight. Exactly, and it's not even if you think about the Oilers, who are in a different, but. So well, I feel like they're in a more precarious situation. Yeah, but they have those guys tied down for longer than the Leafs do, right? So it, it, it will be interesting, and it's going to be a lot of <laughs> fun. And uh, I feel bad for Leafs fans, but that was just the most emblematic <laughs> Leafs fan moment ever, losing that series. And I think that this was the worst loss out of them all because the they were the favorites. Continues. They were the favorites yeah. and were also up big in the series. The curse continues. Now, switching gears just a wee bit, did Montreal play to their ability? Or, I mean, do they surpass what most people thought was possible of them? As, as somebody who's seen what they can do, especially if you look at the beginning of the season for their maximum potential, it was all there. All the pieces were there. It's just... Uh, when everything was clicking, they play a lot better than when some of the pieces aren't firing, right? Like I've said a thousand times before on the same podcast, the Habs are a team who kind of needs everybody to be going at all times so they can run four lines, and that's how they're going to beat you. Carry Price is going to be really solid. All four lines are going to combine to score a couple goals, hopefully more than three, and then we're probably going to just see where it goes from there, right? So when that ended up happening towards the end of the series – we can see that that's what they can do. Did they kind of overextend a bit and maybe play above their ability? I think so. I think some of the guys out there, you know, they really wanted it. They knew they were the underdog and that makes people want to play better, right? Like it's a, it's a bit of both, but there are some guys like, you know, Tyler Toffoli, we brought him in to score. He scored five points across all seven games. Not a crazy amount, but when you have four guys behind him that have four points, then a couple three twos, and then contribution across the board, it ends up being enough. Could I, would I like to see more from certain players? Yes, but um, I do would feel you like, like to they see were more playing from Josh Anderson, but okay. without a shadow of a doubt. The he's, fact that he he's scary. Is, the fact that he has only a goal 
over the whole series. And if you see him play, if you watch him in game seven, when he just grabs hey. the puck halfway through the neutral zone and just barrels through everybody. Yeah, he's scary. Um, yeah, he's intimidating. But, like, he has a 5.3. Like, he took 19 shots during the series, and he scored once. Like, that's low for almost anybody, right? You'd expect to hover around the 10 to 12 mark. So, I think he's due, but I like what he's doing. But I would have loved to see more from him. As well as our defense, we had two points from defensemen all series, and they were an assist from Jeff Petrie and from Gustafson. So, brilliant. Would be nice to see a little more, but otherwise, I think the Habs are have shown flashes of what they can really do during this series. Shows their team effort and their dynamism, but but not the you know they they don't just lean on a couple of people. They they lean on their entire team, which no, which can exactly. be a good thing. Which is a good thing, but it can also be a curse in some sense, no? Uh, yeah, for sure. Because, I mean, so Tyler Jafoli had five points and four players had four. I'd be surprised if, unless you guys already know, you guys could guess who all four of those guys are. Kotkiniemi. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, Suzuki. Okay. Um, oh, my. Right, it's like you all are Mia. You all are Mia. Okay. Yep. Um. Oh, that that's a tough one. I don't. I don't know who the fifth one would be. Suzuki Gallagher. He already said Suzuki. No Gallagher. Uh, no. Oh. So the scores you got. Uh, you got so Nick Suzuki, Yoel Armia, both two goals to assist. Corey Perry, two goals to assist for oh four points. Oh my god! And uh, Corey Perry. <laughs> Eric Stahl with four assists. Wow, Eric! Eric right, Stahl. Ka- Ka- Kanyemi only had th- he had three goals all series, and that was it. Just three points. Eric Stahl, four assists, six games played. Yeah. Wow. Right. Tale so it's, the Stahl it's, brothers. It Good does brother. surprise you when it comes down to it, but it can be a blessing and a curse at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Oh. I mean, so long as you're having all four lines firing. Uh... You can do. You can. You can go far. I mean, well, I, I don't know if you're gonna beat the, uh, you know, to get to the Stanley Cup Finals, but I think you have a decent chance at perhaps winning against the Jets this series. I think it's gonna be hard to predict, but um, I think it's gonna be a good series regardless. It'll for me. It'll wait to see. Are the Jets gonna be rusty? I don't know. Yeah, they've well, been it, done for. What a week almost? Well over oh, a week oh, now. Right? It has been a week and a half, hasn't it? It'll be nine days tomorrow. Nine days. Wow. Right. Like rest can turn to rust pretty quick, but but that's what, what they've been doing. Game. That's only for one game. So yeah. True, true. But momentum in the playoffs can be everything. You know, the Habs coming off playing every other night. If hypothetically they pick up a winning game one and they just keep rolling on that, I'm not saying they're gonna sweep the Jets, but like they could definitely build on a lot of momentum. Oh, that would be so funny. It would Oilers just get swept by the Jets, and then Jets just get swept <laughs> by the uh, Habs. Oh, my. oh man, I highly doubt it, but I guess you never know after the Jets swept uh, swept uh, the Oil Earth. Kings. No. <laughs> that would be something else. <laughs> Do you think Bergevin predicted this would happen, or like what is his game plan? I mean, I'm always thrown off by his long hair now. I mean, of course, that has nothing to do with this series or anything, but just like it's luscious. There you go. Um, good word. Do you do you think it do you think he imagined the Habs could do this? 
I think so. I think there's no reason for him to not have faith. Mm. I think he was also really on the hot seat and he's very glad about what happened uh, <laughs> between the Julien firing and all the huge off season that we had. He was like, Hey, something's got to happen. And then he probably told Zisham the same thing. And they're both pretty happy to have gone past this uh, first round. Cause for them, I think that kind of saves their spot for now. A lot of media is now clamoring for Zisham to stay. And that is very different from, a few, you know, barely a month and a half ago when they were on like a, losing 14 of 18 i feel like a week ago even when they were down 3-1 you know people journalists and whatever media in the habs region would have asked for Deshaun's head yeah but during the playoffs when you're down i think there's not much else the media is going to decide to do and especially now that they've won of course what they are going to say is praise the guy behind it but <laughs> i do think that now that he's shown hey no we won we won against the leafs I think they're, he's going to you know, leverage that into getting at least a shot at a, ha- keeping the head job, the head, uh, the head coach job for next year. All righty. It'll be interesting to see what they do. And, I mean, if they win against this uh, Jets team, oh, you, you, yes. there's, I feel like there's going to be a raise for, for <laughs> someone there. But, yeah, already, uh, I mean, okay, turning it back to the Leafs just briefly – is anyone going to get fired? And I mean, changes are going to happen, but what changes do you predict will, or what changes are even possible? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm hearing Mitch Marner trade talk, but who in their right mind is, or who even has the cap space to take him on? And then also like, it wasn't as if he was terrible. He did. I mean, obviously missed some chances, but he provided several grade A chances to Matthews and Hyman. I mean, like, is that even the right move to think about trading Marner? Well, okay, I'll, I'll give you. Uh, I'll I'll start with the the fired. Do I think anyone's going to get fired? I I don't think so, because if you look at the roster construction, you wouldn't really blame that on Dubis. Well, I don't know what you'd say. He got woefully wrong on coaching. You might be able to. I, I would say. You, Probably at the end, it did seem as though Sheldon Keefe got outcoached. The The special teams for the Leafs were really atrocious in this series, especially at the end. That's um, run by Manny Malhotra. But also just that's more of a coaching has a direct influence on that more so than if you, you have more skilled players, you're probably going to be better five on th- five. It's not as big a difference. He wasn't hunting, getting – um, the Matthews and Marner line off Deno, in, except a little bit in game seven, but even then. So I think Keith could maybe be on the hot seat, but it's Dubas's guy. I don't really see that happening. Uh, unless obviously Dubas got fired, then you'd probably expect Keith to be fired, but I, I wouldn't expect that MLSC doesn't really do that kind of stuff where they just knee jerk reaction to, to a bad series. Now, going to what changes will be made, as I mentioned before, a lot of the times with these young teams, you kind of have to ride it out, especially if you have guys on long or long-ish term deals at high AVs. The problem is, is that the pandemic means that the salary cap isn't going up, or at least not next year, and that really affects it because those guys are really not, their contracts aren't becoming better in value as the years go on and as you'd expect them with age to enter their prime get better right so 
with regards to you mentioned Marner, the only thing that makes sense to me, at least with Marner or Matthews, I'd say probably Marner a bit more because I think you'd have to agree Matthews is probably a better player. But I mean, I guess that's a you can have. It's Ooh, hard. I'm not convinced by that. Goal. It's hard to score 41 goals in 50 whatever games, but very true. But just going back to it, the only thing that makes sense to me that t- is that they trade Marner or Matthews for Eichel. Now, it, it I do I think that's going to happen? No, I uh, just for the aggregators, that's I don't believe that's happening. That will happen, but it makes enough sense is if you're going to trade one high end skill guy you want to get that that kind of guy back in return especially if you're the Leafs and you're in most mostly win now mode right so that deal makes sense if for example a high-end defenseman maybe a Seth Jones became available might make enough sense even then I'd probably want Marner over him especially just because how dynamic he is so it the Eichel thing makes sense but enough sense that is maybe plausible because he's definitely going to get traded. But Leafs don't need another center, though. You can never have enough centers, but I, I don't. You think... want Jack? You want John Tavares as your third line center? Well, you put him on the wing. I, I, I don't think really like Stamkos and Giroux vibe. Yeah. I, again, this is hypothetical. You make it work. You have talent. It, it will figure itself out. What I will say though is to me it doesn't make any sense trading Nylander. He was by far the best player for the Leafs in the series, other than maybe Campbell. After that performance, after a team wilts, and you have one guy that doesn't wilt, uh, it doesn't make any sense to me to be trading that guy. Now, his is he is the most plausible, lower AAV, about $7 million, but... And he's not the player either Matthews or Marner is, but he's still one heck of a player, but he showed up. So why are you trading the guy that showed up for you in the playoffs when everyone else yeah. will? It doesn't make enough sense to me. Now, and there's last, always talk last, with him. Last year, sure, that might have made sense. But this year, that just seems no. stupid, and, and I doubt they do it. So I, I don't really think there's going to be a lot of – change and if there is it's going to be major and it'd be more to a core piece i believe than it would be to a coach or to to dubis or in the front office even though jack campbell played well this series you'd have to think they need to get another number one starter i don't know i i don't know what olivier thinks about it but for me i, I don't think so you have him for, for next year at roughly i believe it's 1.5 million that's a bargain. I would not re-sign Anderson, and I'd maybe look for another goalie. But Anderson's. Do you think? Up. I mean, Jack Campbell hasn't. I don't think he's played more than a hundred games. Yeah, but he's already under contract for next year. Just ride him out. But he's not a number I, one. I'd well, still keep number, Campbell. Yeah, he was a number one in the series. He the the reason why the Leafs lost wasn't because of goaltending. Maybe yeah. game seven, but for the most part, Campbell played well, very well. So, and you have him on a very good team-friendly deal next year. For me, it doesn't make sense. Now, you have to bring in another goalie. I don't think Anderson's coming back, but why would you not have him as the number one? Now, maybe you bring in a 1B kind of player, maybe a, a James Reimer just for the fans to, to have some fun, but that kind of guy that can – Optimus Rhyme. 
Yeah. <laughs> that can carry enough of the load that if, let's say, Campbell just becomes uh, mediocre next year, just for whatever reason, you have someone that can fill in a little bit. But I wouldn't, I don't know who you'd get that's a number one. And he showed you you could be a number one. So at least for next year, I think you go in him being your number one and you add another goalie through either a trade or, or free agency. Free agency. Yeah. yeah I agree with Alex at the same point. I think you, I think you go with Campbell. You don't resign. they like, do not resign Anderson. Stay with Campbell. Try to get a one B, you know, kind of like to have tried with a Jake Allen, you know, that same caliber, a decent backup who can start a solid amount of games if you have to, but otherwise you play Campbell, but, I don't know if it's going to be a hot take or not, but I don't. Do you think they would potentially just do what the Lightning did after they got swept by Columbus and just run it back with some slight changes and see what they can do from there? Or do you really think this is like, this is like, no, something's got to go. I think they're going to do that. The way you first mentioned, I think it's going to be, I mean, they, they played, like you said, it, it wasn't their bottom end of the defense that, or even goaltending that lost in the series. It was their top players not playing to the yeah. quality that they could, that they can. The- like, if I'm Kyle Dubas and Sheldon Keefe, I go, look, you saw what we did this regular season. It was a weird season for everybody. You know, not like write this one off, but like run it back, bolster a few things, get Jack Campbell a 1B, see if you can make some tweaks here and there. You know, maybe some of the free agent signings that they had for one year didn't work and you don't bring them back. But I don't think, like Alex even mentioned earlier, like this pa- this team on paper, you don't make too many changes. You just kind of keep shooting at the board. The only thing I would be a little cautious by, or not cautious, but be a little worried by, is they, well, the big players do seem to not be able to get it done consistently in the playoffs. So, hmm. It's hard to say because I don't think that they will change anything. I don't think they should change anything. But at the same time, if they're not getting it, if the, the big players are not getting it done when you need them to get it done, it's hard for them to just, you know, stand idle and, you know, just go with the flow for next season with the same squad in that sense. Also hard to convince the fans that that's what you're going to do. Yeah. But I mean, ultimately, the fans don't have a choice. No, I mean, but if the fans had a choice, Toronto. Well, I mean, sure, but if the fans had a choice, I mean, Benning would be, you know, a spike, and we we would have different, <laughs> more long term. would get hired and fired every four. Exactly. So maybe it's a good thing fans are. No, you're, you're right with that. You're right that the fans' opinions aren't. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I mean, yeah. No, but uh, I, I think we both agree in the sense that you kind of. Tip and run it back. Cut out there just a little bit, but I mean, for next season, maybe stick with what you have and see how your big players play. But if they still don't perform to the extent that they should be at the end of next postseason, then I think you have to ask some serious questions. I think that's when heads start to roll. Yeah. Yeah. That will be four or five seasons, or no, probably five then. I mean, Mm-hmm. Yeah, five, that'll be five. five, five or six seasons for the young, the youngins who are no longer youngins. Yeah, I mean, you have to start thinking, okay, what can we do to make some changes that will actually 
enable these guys to win. I mean, is it going to be like, I mean, I, I think these guys are better than the players you see at Calgary, but is this going to be like another Calgary? No, I, it's, no. The thing I would say though, um, what I would say though, is that this was their big opportunity. This division was yeah. ripe for the taking. And next year, they're in a division with the Ottawa Senators, best team in the league. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Okay. Uh, I'm kidding. But they're in a division with the Tampa Bay Lightning, who should still be stacked. Boston, okay. who's still pretty good. Very good. Florida, Florida who, had a great, who had a great year last year. Sam Bennett. Sam Bennett Renaissance. <laughs> and then Rahegi. we're forgetting as well – the Habs, who should be just as good, maybe even better, just with their young guys coming up. And... I mean, picture Caulfield playing 82 games instead of, like, seven. Yeah, he'll get 20 goals. Whoa. Uh, no. <laughs> All right. All right. Whoa, that's crazy. Uh, but I just mean th- they had the chance, and now they're in this probably the best division in hockey, maybe other than the Central. And it's just going to be – a a slugfest and they could play Tampa in the first round and lose. And it's not even necessarily their fault next year. And this year they had a line straight to the third round and maybe even to the finals, depending on the matchup. So just what a calamity. And again, love to see it. Uh, it it's great. <laughs> yeah. All, all 10,000 auto sender fans. I'm one of them, baby. Season ticket holder. Let's go. Oh, boy. Already, <laughs> uh, already, already. Let's get in some banter here. Jets versus Habs. Key players in this matchup. You have to, you both have to choose one player from each team that's going to make oh, a difference. Just one? Just oh, one? Hey, hey, this is a pod. Okay. I know, I know. This is your show. Just one. Okay. Mm. Go ahead, Alex. I'm ready. <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't think it's it's too hard. It's it's Connor Hellebuck. If he plays the way he played against Edmonton, we're winning the series. As great as Price has been, uh, we just have as just as good a goalie as they do. Arguably, probably better. But it's it's if he plays that way, he had a 950 save percentage. If it's anything close to that, we win the series. Um, I, I don't think that our forwards are going to wilt like the like the Leafs did. Uh, this is really fun for me to say. Uh, but so, yeah, I, I think that's it. And it's probably the same thing for, Pride, for, for, for the Habs. But in the end, if Hellebuck plays that well, I just like our offense a bit more than the Habs. And, and that's why, in a weird way, I trust our forward group. And that's why I pick Hellebuck. All right. I, I really wanted to say Carey Price, but I feel like it's the exact same points as you saying with Connor Hellbuck, where if Carey Price has a great season, has a great series, sorry, he can steal games for us and that's how we can get through this. So instead, I'm going to pick uh, a little more on the uh, underdog side. Don't take Philip Cole Dano. Caulfield. Okay, no, <laughs> I, I thought about saying Armia too. Ex-Jets definitely would want to put some past his old team for trading him alongside Steve Mason, but whatever. <laughs> Uh, Philip Deneau. Oh, does that guy still play in the NHL or is he done? No, he's he, retired. Steve Mason, he's yeah, he we took him as a cap dump and then we gave him Simon Book, and that guy does nothing, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah, great trade for us. Thanks for Armia. It was a cap. Um, 
But it was 100% a cap dump. But I'm picking Philip Deneau. If Philip Deneau can do what he's been doing so far this series, which is unfortunately not putting up the points, but just shutting down the opposing top top centers, top lines so well, shutting down Matthews, shutting down Marner, playing huge minutes, playing penalty kill minutes, spending his entire game on the ice, winning faceoffs, you know, key faceoffs at key moments in the defensive zone. If he can keep doing that and – you know, if he wants to start contributing offensively, that'd be sick too. But I'd be happy with what he's doing right now. If he wants I think, to start contributing. <laughs> I think that would be a huge thing for us. Mm. I totally agree with Alex in the fact that the Jets forward group is stronger than the Habs forward group. There's no real ifs, ands, or buts about it. The points just kind of tell the story. But if Philip Deneau can shut a part of that group down on his own single-handedly, like he's been doing this past series, it really opens up a lot more for Montreal. And it gives him the opportunity to really test Hellebuck and then make him, you know, force him to show up instead of, you know, themselves being forced to step up to somebody above their weight class. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it was a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. no. Uh, I thought Kieran was gonna intervene, but no, I definitely agree. The the way I see this series and is that the goaltending's probably a wash. There's it's relatively even. I would give Connor Hellebuck the slight edge, but oh, but let's but I would just, say it's relatively even. Yeah, you have then as well. You have the Jets, whose forward group I'd say is better, and then you have the Habs, who I'd say convincingly have a better def- defense core. I would say our decor is a little stronger. Yeah. Oh, I, I I completely agree. So the 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 thing is is that this this Jets team showed that they can play defense as a team. And they won't even have to play as defensively as they would have against Edmonton or if they had played the Leafs, right? So they'll have a bit more freedom and it'll be an interesting series and it'll be very tight checking. And I don't think there's going to be a lot of goals because both these teams have great goalies and play good defensive hockey. Can't wait I to think see, so. Yeah. I, I can't wait to see Anderson absolutely bulldoze Morrissey and uh oh what's God. the other little what's the other little squirt? Logan Stanley. Nah, not the <laughs> six eight behemoth or whatever. No, no, no. Your, your other short your other Stashman? short defender. Peonk? Oh no, defender. Peonk. I can't Peonk. wait for Anderson to absolutely the body though, but yeah. Peace. The power horse, buddy. Josh yeah. Anderson, the power horse, absolutely gonna show up. There you go. All right, all right, all right. Now, we. I mean, I'm going to go on a limb here and say, Alex, you're going to take this in six games for the Jets. Olivia, I think you're going to say seven for the Canadians. Am I wrong? <laughs> Not for me. I, I, Already? I, I put um, six. Oh, man. I don't remember what I actually put in my real brackets. I did. I did have this matchup in my bracket, my NHL bracket. But, uh, top of your head. Top of your head. What do you feel? I think what I have Habs and six. Habs and six. Okay. One carry price shutout. One carry price shutout. And how many shutouts for Hellbuck? One. Like me? Oh, or, okay. <laughs> oh my. I'll say one. Yeah. Uh, oh my. Yeah. Alrighty. That is it. Alex, if I win this, you have to wear my Armia jersey, my Habs jersey. I mean, that's if we win. <laughs> no, if I win, buddy. No, if no. I if, I, if we win, I'll wear the Armia jersey because he's. We won. No, I have the Jets jersey too. Don't worry. Oh, no, never mind. <laughs> right, the, 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 the dear listeners are confused by your uh, jokes and your sarcasms. 
uh, throughout this little bit. Um, well, actually, before we, we, we end off, I mean, Avs Knights, that's been pretty fun for the most part. Well, we've only seen one game thus far uh, uh, from the you know time of the recording. I believe they play tonight or they play tomorrow? They play tomorrow. They play yep. tomorrow. So in the next 15 minutes, it's going to be Tampa versus the Hurricanes. That's going to be interesting. I think, yeah, Tampa won the first game. Avs won the first game. And Boston Bruins versus Islanders, I believe it's uh, tied 1-1. Yep. Last night, Sezikas, big OT goal. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And Pagot, Pagot, Pagot with a goal (laughs) the other day. So that was nice. I had some parm. I had some. I had uh, some chicken parm last night. So just just for. I actually didn't, but it made sense with the Pagot thing. You guys. Chicken (laughs) parm, chicken parm. What? Yeah, yeah, whatever. Don't worry about it. Thank you, dear listener. No. (laughs) <laughs> oh god thank you dear listener for tuning into this week's uh geeking on sportscast that was the champions league for the first half and the uh well stanley cup playoffs for the second half so yeah we look forward to the next one till then take care <laughs>